Last week, my colleague Sai Ishwar Bharat asked a question to Infosys founder N.R. Narayanamurthy. Hi, uh, congrats gentlemen on reaching 40 years of Infosys. So my question is that, uh, you know, in the last few days, we have gone through a lot of hallmark events like uh, Infosys is the first uh, Indian company to list on NASDAQ, the first Indian company to have ESOP plans. But also it's the first uh, Indian company to keep uh, voluntarily the next generation of the promoter group out of the management team. Uh, so could you tell us uh, what is the reason for this? And uh, do you think in hindsight, uh, some of the plan B or the succession concerns would have been addressed if you had allowed the next generation to take part in the business? Thank you. Now, few, including Sai himself, could have expected Mr. Murthy's fairly telling reply. I was completely wrong in that. I think I was depriving this organization of legitimate talent. So I take back that whatever I said. I think every individual must have the same opportunity as every other individual if he or she is considered the best person for that job. The Q&A between my colleague and Mr. Murthy happened during an event to celebrate Infosys' completion of 40 years. Now, Mr. Murthy's statement created quite a stir. After all, by his own admission, he was sort of withdrawing or reversing an unwritten charter decided 40 years ago when the company was formed, something that became a kind of hallmark for its standards of professionalism, the unwritten rule of not allowing the founder's family to become part of the company's management. The reason why I, at that point of time, probably I embraced that idea was because I was afraid that some people may bring undeserving candidates and, and put them in positions. And I wanted the future of the organization to be strong. Uh, so therefore, I was completely wrong. I take back that. I admit I was wrong. So today, my view is that you should not worry about what nationality, what heritage, whose son you are, whose daughter you are as long as you have the best competence for a position. So what is behind Mr. Murthy's Voltifas? Did he necessarily need to change the idea that he had embraced 40 years ago? Does Infosys need the second generation of founders to take it to new heights? Are they willing or even worthy of taking that baton? Or would a decision like this take it back to its troubles and low phases that it faced in the past due to excessive promoter control in the company? Could it hamper the future of Infosys when its present is really bright? And does it point towards a broader conundrum of promoters versus professionalism that too many companies in India and the world expose themselves to? All that and more in today's episode. I'm your host, Anirban Chaudhary, and today we look at the succession question at Infosys and the other uncomfortable questions it raises. My first guest today is Peter Bender Samuel, founder of the Everest Group, a Dallas, Texas-based IT research firm which works closely with some of the world's and India's biggest tech firms. My second guest is my colleague and ET's head for the southern region, Archana Rai, and my third guest is Vivek Vadva tech entrepreneur and academic, 
Professor at Carnegie Mellon School of Engineering at Silicon Valley and Distinguished Fellow at the Harvard Law School. This is The Morning Brief. Peter has done business with Infosys for many years, from its CEOs to its accounts team, helping them in their services and decision-making. He is a very vocal critic of Mr. Murthy's recent statement. You know, it makes me sad for Mr. Murthy and it makes me sad for Infosys. And the reason it makes me sad is Murthy was part or has been part of an exceptional founding group that founded a firm based on meritocracy and eschewed nepotism. In fact, the very foundational principles of emphasis itself were set up by Mr. Mooty to avoid, to not have nepotism in the firm. So I think it's, it's kind of sad that at this point in time, they're regretting this because they created one of the really great Indian firms and global firms that's existing today. And I think it's a real insult to people in the firm to be thinking that they should be led by, um, you know, the founder's children rather than the professional leadership that they've built themselves. I think Mr. Muti has got cognitive dissidence. He's looking around at other promoters within India and whose children are set to take over their companies, and he wished that his children were going to take over, his son specifically. Peter isn't the only one. A former senior executive had this to tell us on background. Muti should have stuck to his principles about not bringing in children to the company. He tried to break his own rule once when he got his son as executive assistant and he became a power center. The founders of Infosys hold under 12%. You will not see succession at Accenture going to the children of the leaders. At Wipro, Rishad took over Azim Premji because the Premji family still has a lot of stake through their trust. Even after 40 years, Infosys founders are protecting the myth that the company has succeeded because of them. Hundreds of people have contributed to the company. The 40-year-old celebration at Infosys last week was of the founders, by the founders and for the founders. My colleague Archana has written on Infosys and other tech firms for more than a decade. She has a slightly more moderate view. She said Muthi's statement, upheld by Infosys non-executive chairman Nandan Nilekani, signifies one thing only, a clear focus on succession planning. My very first reaction to that statement would be that Mr. Murthy was reacting to it from the perspective of the company having reached a very significant milestone. And also to do with you know, the current stage of life that the promoters find themselves in, right? Right. So... You have, you know, Mr. Murthy himself is late 70s. The most of the other promoters are also definitely in their 60s and beyond. So there is right. the only one of them who is active in the company right now is non-executive chairman Nandan Nilekani, who, as you would have noticed, he did say that, you know, while he is here and sees himself being here until proper succession plan is in place, it's mm-hmm. not like wants to be there for the 50th anniversary, as he himself said. So taking all these comments in unison is why I said the company is very definitely thinking of a succession plan. So my my challenge is a little more acute because, you know, since I have some founders clout and all that founder, I can do some. But I'll be handing over to a chairman at whatever point that I exit from the scene 
who will be the first, uh, not the first, but a non-founder. And now there's no plan B now. I mean, you know, if, if I hand over to somebody and it doesn't work out, there's no plan B. You know, I can't come back at some 75 or something. So I have to make sure that when I exit the scene, I implement his uh, vision of uh, putting in place the leadership structure, people, and uh, with the right values to take it forward. So that's really actually the biggest thing on my head. But does she think the statement from Mr. Murthy, who's no longer a part of the company's management or board, really has any material impact on the company and its succession plans? Certainly not. Because that was a statement made more by the founder of the company, who has no operational role. He felt he had held back a certain set of people from having a fair chance of working in the company. He believed that that was discriminatory and he was taking that back. Now, that has no material impact on the company per se. So, in order to straddle these really divergent thoughts from our two guests today, we have to delve a little bit into the Infosys story, especially the roles that Mr. Murthy and the company's other founders played in its ups and downs. Infosys was set up by seven engineers, N.R. Narayanamurthy, Nandan Nilikani, N.S. Raghavan, S. Gopalakrishnan, S.D. Shibulal, K. Dinesh and Ashok Aroda. Mr. Murthy started the company with 10,000 rupees, given to him by his wife, Sudha Murthy. So I think it's also fair to say that she's probably been one of India's smartest angel investors. If you think of a 10,000 rupee investment that is now seeded, what is a $17 billion company by revenue. I never dreamt that 10,000 will become billions of dollars later. And maybe I am the best investor in India at least. <laughs> or maybe in the world, I don't know. So while family was integral to the company's genesis, Mr. Murthy was fairly clear that he wanted to keep it out of its management. Why? You must look back and think of it from that perspective, that this was started by a group of professionals whose stated guiding principles for running the company was about professionalism. Upset of that stated principles was something that Mr. Murthy set down in the early days and said that none of this next generation from the promoter's family would work in the company. It was not neither a legal requirement, nor is it, you know, not linked to anything in terms of operations. But I think it was largely in the field of a guiding principle that was set out by the company on its own and probably taken ahead by them through the years. With those guiding principles, Naranamurti led the company for two decades. It grew really fast. While of course on a low base, its revenue grew at a compounded annual growth rate of 29% in Mr. Murthy's time as CEO. It also became the first Indian company to list on the American stock exchange Nasdaq, apart from being on the Bombay Stock Exchange. In 2002, Mr. Murthy passed the baton of leadership to his blue-eyed boy, Nandan Nilikani. Mr. Nilikani led the company for another five years in a very successful stint. Now, this is where it starts to get a little problematic. Mr. Nilikani was succeeded by another Infosys founder, Chris Gopalakrishnan, after whom came S.D. Shibulal, another founder. It was a sort of musical chairs that the founders were playing with the CEO's seat in the middle. And it highlighted the strange paradox that while the founders' families would be kept out of management roles, the family of founders exercised the fullest possible control over the company. 
So we've right. really seen like a transition within that group itself, right? Which you can argue and say was definitely not exactly how it had happened in any of the other IT services companies. To that extent, it was definitely very unusual and it was definitely a matter of discussion, debate, what have you. Because the question that was being asked at those times was, is this really the best for the company, right? Best mm-hmm. way to handle transition and are the people best suited for the role, you know, taking up the role? You can even argue while, uh, you know, None of these can be, what shall we say? We cannot say for certain that this was cause and this was effect. But for certain, there were a lot of exits around the time, say around the 2012 time, where many believe that the second level of management talent within the company was disgruntled by this rhythmic passing on of the baton within the promoter group itself. So did this have an impact? For sure, it did have an impact on the stability of the company and also the way it was viewed from outside. Because a lot of talented people would have questioned, is it worth going there? Because I'm never going to make it to the top job. So what are my chances? Because the promoters are going to pass on the baton from one to another. One of the key C-suite executives to leave at that time was Infosys Chief Financial Officer turned HR head, T.V. Mohandas Pai. In an interview in 2011, he said, and I quote, the founders had been dominating the management stream. Well, that turned out to be a disaster, right? I mean, that was an exercise in hubris. You know, one of the early CEOs was Nundan, and he was a generational talent. In fact, what under his stewardship is uh, emphasis grew to the firm that is today. In fact, I think it is widely believed that Mr. Muthi was envious of Nundan and sort of instituted this idea of rotating the, giving each founder an opportunity to be CEO. Well, the subsequent founders who took over CEOs were nearly as capable as London was. And although at the time London let go, it was leading TCS, it was bigger than TCS, and it was on a trajectory to really dominate the industry. It Mm -hmm. slipped after that point. It's still a strong company. But uh, it didn't perform the way TCS did. TCS had continuity of its CEO and had a very capable CEO. Mm -hmm. The world would be very different or that emphasis would be much bigger if they had not made that move to um, rotate the CEOs, which is, if you think about it on its face, it's just a, a silly thing to do. If you've got a highly capable CEO, keep him in place. But the founder's control over the company didn't really loosen. In fact, in 2013, Mr. Murthy, who had become chairman emeritus, parachuted himself back to the company. He brought with himself his son, Rohan Murthy. Rohan came as his executive assistant in the first and only instance of involvement of a founder's child as part of the management. This was widely criticized. There was widespread pushback from the employees. In fact, that year, Infosys saw the exit of eight top executives. The company then appointed its first CEO who was not a founder, Vishal Sikka, former chief technology officer at Tech Behemoth, SAP. Vishal Sikka joined in 2014, but his stint was more problematic than those before him, not least because of a very public rift with Mr. Murthy. But Mr. Murthy repeatedly attacked the company's chairman and board and CEO over alleged corporate governance lapses including a $200 investment in an Israeli firm. He also pointed out what he called were really high severance packages to two of its employees. Vishal Sikka 
resigned in August 2017 unhappy disappointed disgruntled i got to the point was that it was difficult to deal with was the sort of the continuous allegations and continuous noise at some point you realize that this is taking a heavy toll on the organization it is taking a heavy toll personally it is an untenable situation and i don't want to do this anymore the board blamed narayan murthy for the ceo's exit Mr Murthy lashed back. He said he had no intention of extracting position or money for his children or part from the IT company. That was the worst phase of emphasis with constant management churn and deep angst within its employees. It was suddenly not the best place to work. And it all stemmed from one thing. Excessive control exercised by its founder. In 2017, 8 years after he had quit the company, Nandan Nilakani returned to Infosys as its non-executive chairman to battle its worst crisis. This time however, Mr Nilakani wanted to use his founder's clout a little differently. He decided the controls would fully be in the hands of the company's top management. Enter Salil Parekh of Capgemini as the next CEO. He became one of the company's most successful leaders and turned it around. I think one of the things that Salil has done with London's help is London is the chairman right now. They've quieted down the organization. There was a lot of angst in the organization when first right. Vishal was running it and then Muthi was running it afterwards, and they've just quieted down and let emphasis be emphasis. In the last 3 years, a boom in the IT services sector have meant great business for all IT companies. But Infosys has grown faster than its peers on all key counts. incremental revenue sales growth profitability and creation of shareholder value according to numbers compiled and compared by et the transformation was huge at the time of the disruption in the early 2010s very famously infosys which had been the bellwether of the it services industry had forecast growth that was roughly half the industry forecast what shall we say the, uh, a lot of businesses run on sentiment also right and in mm-hmm. sense of for lack of a better term self belief within companies within employees for a long time mm-hmm. i think infosys had lost that benefit and right. in the last two years the most important thing that infosys has done is it's forecasting growth ahead of peers that the numbers will tell you the story right mm-hmm. if you contrast mm-hmm. this with a decade ago when they were having entering that stage of top level management disruption and right. how that impacted their clearly the company's own confidence levels in terms of forecasting growth and the change that they you know sort of what they could see themselves doing to how right. the company is reacting now it is setting the standard for the industry in terms Got of uh, revenue forecasting right Got so it. that those numbers tell the story so it's fairly clear that infosys is on a steady path of growth now Peter tells me that it has a stronger board than ever before free of the influence of investors. So does it need a directional shift from the second generation of founders? In no way does it need the founders children to give it a new direction. First of all was a world beater as it is. It's leading the tables, it's leading the industry in growth and it's leading the industry in stock appreciation. So it's doing extraordinarily well as it is. Secondly, it has a very deep bench of professional managers inside of emphasis that can be in the succession facility 
Thirdly, if they want to look outside the firm, Salil's a good example. He came from another firm. So there's a deep pool of professional leaders that they could draw outside of Emphasis. And finally, Emphasis has minted a number of CEOs that have gone to other firms and successfully led other firms, and they could tap any of those on the shoulder. So if any firm in this industry is well positioned for succession, Emphasis is the one. And is there a possibility that the company's positive run may be reversed or hampered if the second generation is indiscriminately brought into the management? Yes, I think it would put them back into the time we just talked about where emphasis was fighting itself. We've seen mm-hmm. that it pushed back hard on Muthi when he tried to bring his son into the organization. This organization is a meritocracy. It wants to be led by professionals that have earned their way there. It will not tolerate nepotism, and it would largely destroy this firm if they went that way. And what about the second generation? Who and where are they? Well, Mr. Shibulal's daughter Shruti Shibulal is a hotelier, while Mr. Nilakani's daughter Janvi Nilakani is a healthcare entrepreneur. The only scion who's still associated with the tech industry is Rohan Murthy. He runs a Delaware-based tech services startup called Soroko. So one way of looking at it is that of the seven promoters, none of the second generation, barring Rohan Murthy, mm-hmm. have ever had a stint in emphasis. Barring that, no other member of any of the promoters' families, next generation or otherwise, have ever served that emphasis. While they all own shares, none of the others are in any way associated with the IT services industry. So are there any imminent sort of entries from the promoter group into the company? You can't definitively say that any of them will or will not, right? Because they're all very highly qualified people also. Several of the next generation, I think, some of them hold PhDs from some of the world's top universities. Right, also, right, right. Will they come? Will they not come? Now, that's too much in the realm of speculation. The founder and family problem isn't limited to Infosys alone. In fact, during its worst crisis, the company was compared to the Tata Group. Despite being one of the most professionally run conglomerates in the world, the Tata Group too has been steered for too long and far too closely, some say, by its promoter. In fact, Peter tells me it's not just an India problem. If you look at the United States, look at Facebook, and you look at the special class of stock that um, Zuckerberg has, right? That's a version of the right. same thing. Right? Um, right? You know, you look at Fox, the entertainment, and you look at uh, that's being led by children. So I think many founders globally want to pass their companies on to their children. My third guest, Vivek Vadva, gives me another example. One that is very much in the news for all the wrong reasons. This is the same discussions we're having about Elon Musk right now. Elon is a brilliant innovator. He's very good at startups. He's made a major impact on humanity, and he got drunk on his own success. He developed this God complex. He believed that just because he had the skills to build something new, he also had the skills to turn around a large company, a multi-billion dollar company, and it's been a complete disaster for him. So this is what happens. And the founders, you know, typically are, in their youth, they were bright entrepreneurs who took risks and defied the common norms and built success. Those skills aren't the same as running a multi-billion dollar business. So if the Mm -hmm. founders keep exerting control, they will screw it up. As you're seeing Elon Musk do real time with Twitter, you know, they need to step out of the way. They need to bring in new management, 
fresh new faces, fresh new ideas. They need to have an independent board that can manage them. Again, one of the problems that Tesla has right now is that it's an incestuous board. Elon controls it. Facebook has the same problem. This is why Zuckerberg has decimated his market value and Facebook has been in the tech industry. No one looks up to it anymore. So this is what would happen with Infosys if the founders kept controlling it. To say that we need to have London and you know the old founders now running the company would be a mistake. And I know Nanda knows that because I've been in touch with him on it. Naran Murthy should right. not be involved with the company anymore. He's a has-been as far as emphasis goes. Also, since we're looking for uh, global examples from you, are there examples to the contrary where founders have, after a while, learned their lessons, opened it up to a completely professional management, and that's led to a huge growth or a turnaround of the company? The greatest example of all, Apple computers, okay? Mm -hmm. So Steve Jobs founded Apple, brilliant vision, you know, did everything right for a while. And then he messed everything up because he, again, developed the God complex. He became drunk on success and he did mm -hmm. not have the ability to run a billion-dollar company. So therefore, new management came in. So John Scully saved the company from disaster. And after uh, Steve Jobs you know, built Next Computers and learned many lessons and learned humility, he came back and turned the company around again. And this time, it was a different Steve Jobs that took over the company. It was a wiser Steve Jobs who had experience in dealing with people and in building large businesses. And he had mm -hmm. made many mistakes with Next and Pixar and all the other things he did. So he was able to now turn the company around. That's the best example that people will be able to relate to. And then he was smart enough to step out of the way and let Tim Cook take over the company because Tim Cook was an excellent operations guy who could run billion-dollar companies. And Tim has done an exceptional job at building the momentum and making Apple one of the greatest companies in the world, even in this era. Is it difficult to etch such a, a similar success story in India in the sense of the founders actually stepping back building a really strong board that actually takes all the decisions instead of the founders taking those decisions. Is that difficult in India? It is more difficult in India than in other places because the founders build dynasties, as you're seeing with Reliance Industries. I mean, I respect Mukesh Ambani. He's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But the fact he's relying on his children for the next uh, you know, generation for succession, I'm not sure if that's the right thing to do or not. And we can watch and see. You know, the boards also in India are a problem because they're not enough independent board members. It's also incestuous. Just like I talked about Tesla's board being incestuous and that being a right. big problem for the company. You see this over and over and again in India, that you need to have competent board members. And this is where you can bring in foreigners because they bring global experience. They're not running the company day to day, but you can bring in new perspectives into the company. You need to have independent boards. That's the key to success. And if you make a mistake in hiring a board member, fire the board member just like you would fire a member of the staff. Don't hesitate to get rid of the, uh, the weaklings, the problems, the people who are holding the company back. So, Infosys is on a good path right now. Financially, operationally, and in terms of having a professional management and an independent board. Salil Parik, the company's very successful CEO has been given a second stint in the company. In this scenario, do the founders really need to worry about a succession plan just because they are getting old? Or should investors worry about whether their children will inherit it? Perhaps, perhaps not. But the trick is in understanding and sticking 
to a balanced allocation of power and responsibilities. Between a wise, fair and judicious board and a strong management that can keep the company on the right track while taking it to great heights. Infosys has always held itself to very high standards and rarely wavered from them. But it has learned some lessons the hard way and it would do well not to unlearn them in a hurry. You were listening to this episode on the Morning Brief. It was produced by Vinay Joshi and sound designed by Rajas Naik. None of our episodes would have been possible without TMB's very dependable brain trust. For this one, I have to thank Sai Ishwar Bharat, whose timely question triggered this episode, Mukda Varier, Kiran Somvanshi, and Manish Yadav and Shailesh Kadam from the ETIG team. And of course, our guiding lights, Anupriya Bahadur and Arjit Barman, the show's executive producers. Do listen to The Morning Brief as it drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday on all your favorite listening platforms. The Morning Brief has grown to be one of the most popular Indian podcasts. We thank our listeners from the bottom of our hearts to keep listening. This is Anirban Chaudhary signing off, wishing you a great week ahead. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description.